to express yourself where teens talk and the world listens presented by star style productions as an international outreach program of be the star you are charity you'll rock to an hour of adolescent fusion with your teen hosts and on-air reporters meet and chat with cool celebrities exhilarating experts and tenacious teens with subjects regarding anything and everything that you want to know it's time to kick off the fun with our star teens welcome to express yourself To ease another's heartache is to forget one's own. And that's from Abraham Lincoln. Hello and welcome to Express Yourself. We're a program by, for, and with creative young people. A platform to give teens a voice. Right here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. From Cynthia Bryan, creator and producer of Express Yourself and Star Style Productions, we bring this program to the airwaves as an outreach service of the Be The Star You Are charity. A top nonprofit honored by GuideStar in great nonprofits. Before we get into today's show, Be The Star You Are's volunteers and I want to urge you to check out our website at btsya.org. Go to the Events tab to find exciting events that we have coming up, and also visit us at expressyourselfteenradio.com to check out past editions of our show. We are thrilled to have received a certificate of recognition from the California legislature uh, honoring Be The Star You Are volunteers for 20 years of dedicated service to the community through literacy and positive media messages, and we are determined to continue our empowering efforts. So we're starting off today's show about the gift of volunteering with a chapter from the Be The Star You Are Millennials to Boomers Celebrating Gifts of Positive Voices in a Changing Digital World Anthology. The Gift of Volunteering, this specific chapter, was penned by Be The Star You Are volunteer and veteran Express Yourself host and reporter Yongjun uh, Cho. Sorry, said that a bit off, but her chapter is amazing. Uh, those who do not volunteer believe that those who do are driven by warm-hearted intentions and pure purposes. However, people volunteer for hundreds of different reasons. Some hope to explore a career path through volunteering to determine whether that kind of work would be right for them. Some volunteer to fill their mandatory high school community service hours for graduation or even for court-ordered service. Some aim to expand and improve their college applications with instances of their exemplary volunteer work. Some desire a change in environment that would allow them to experience unfamiliar lifestyles and cultures. Some seek a sense of purpose and satisfaction. And some merely have the time. Finally, there are, indeed, the pure-hearted individuals who cannot resist their internal drive to offer help to those in need. Society has developed a habit of criticizing those who volunteer for self-serving purposes, such as applying to colleges. Yet, when we really think about it, these individuals, regardless of their reasons for doing so, are still volunteering. They're still taking hours from their personal time to help others. In the end, those in need do benefit, which is the goal of volunteer work. Furthermore, these volunteers are most likely leaving their own work with a much different mindset than what the one that they began with, as I did. Because since freshman year of high school, I have volunteered for various programs, for the benefit of the young, the elderly, the disabled, the ill, and for the benefit of ordinary teens like myself. I started each one for a different reason. Uh, for example, I started my work at the library to create a mature adult image of myself as I entered high school. I began volunteering at the local senior center because others seemed to be doing so, uh, a renowned phenomenon known as peer pressure. I joined a school volunteer club that taught science at elementary schools for the purpose of becoming a club officer one day. I began volunteering at the local hospital to explore the work of doctors and nurses to see if it suited me. I volunteered for the Northern California Special Olympics event because school rules required every club to fulfill a volunteer project. I volunteered at a full-time camp for disabled individuals because I wanted to experience an unfamiliar lifestyle and spend time away from family and friends to prepare myself for college life in a year or so. And I began volunteering for Be The Star You Are because I had stories to tell, and this charity provided the media outlets with which to tell them. 
So clearly, the reasons for which I began volunteering really varied. And really none of them were pure or selfless in the traditional sense. However, this self-centeredness that dominated my decisions at the beginning of each program was later replaced by a sense of purpose and a change in perspective. Each experience left me with the confidence that I was capable of contributing more. My starting point was the local library, but it wasn't long before I was volunteering for the senior center, the elementary schools, the hospital, a radio show, and most recently, a camp far from home. Because a couple of years ago, I would have dismissed this, uh, the idea of voicing my opinions on the radio or sleeping in a tent for consecutive weeks as impossible. I was far too shy and academically focused, and I might have insisted on more moderate activities rather than the ones that required courage and endurance. So what vote motivated me? Surely it was more than the simple purpose of appealing to colleges, and really it was. My determination to wake up early on the weekends to volunteer at the hospital came from the memory of an elderly man gratefully smiling at me while saying, God is saving you a seat in heaven, my girl. Thank you. Thank you. As I wheeled him from his car into the hospital. One other reminder that drove me to work faster at the senior center uh, was a Spanish couple that would grasp my hand and whisper, Gracias por la comida. Tu eres un angel. Yet another memory prompting me to design new experiments for kids was the curiosity of the children as they watched vinegar and baking soda react. I overcame my exhaustion while at camp through the campers' bright smiles and warm embraces. Whenever guests on the radio show gave advice that absolutely resonated with me, a thought revisited my mind. How many others just felt the connection the way that I did? So imagining the, that these people were happier for at least a moment due to the work that I had done was rewarding in itself. And whether the end result had been a greater interest in science, greater willingness to socialize, to express oneself, or greater health, it had improved that child's, that teen's, that elder's life for at least a day, if not for years on end. So volunteering has also left an imprint on myself as a person, and I no longer see age or disabilities as disadvantages, and the word normal continues to increasingly lose meaning. I've seen elders play the piano spectacularly, I've seen young children think of ideas that I would never have come up with, and I've seen disabled individuals play, grieve, and ponder in the same ways that I do. I've not only met friends, maybe lifelong friends, through volunteering, but I've also experienced a valuable change in perspective. So whether your volunteering goal is, in the end, to appeal to colleges, to graduate, or to see if you're on the right career path, that doesn't matter. Just find any reason in your life to start volunteering, because you'll eventually realize how volunteering can change more than another's life. It'll change your life. All right, and we've got a nice exercise to accompany the chapter that Yongju has provided. It's called A New Project. So whether you're in elementary school, middle school, high school, college, or adulthood, you can always volunteer. Because volunteer opportunities are available everywhere, and there's always someone who will need help somewhere. Volunteering is a door to kindness, to friendship, to opportunity, and to change. So here are some steps you can take to get involved or to stay involved if you're already volunteering in your free time. Number one, if you're a regular volunteer, look for new projects or programs to take part in. The greater your commitment is, the more memorable your experience will be. Number two is, if you've not volunteered before, make sure to try searching for local volunteer opportunities or positions online. Now that the web is here, we have a lot of opportunities to find new volunteer events and different organizations that we can help out with. Schools and libraries tend to have several listed uh, on their websites, so you can choose one that interests you. You can find the website for that program or event, and you can read about the volunteer work in detail. You can find out what you would do as a volunteer and who would benefit from the time and effort that you've spent uh, committing yourself to this volunteerism. Number three, in order to sign up as a volunteer, a website may ask you to create an account or fill out an application form. Make sure you do that because this is a great start for volunteering, which, as you may have heard, means that you're already halfway to a great volunteering experience. We've also got a quote from Irma Bombic that Yongchu has provided us with. It goes like this, Volunteers are the only human beings on the face of the earth who reflect this nation's compassion, unselfish caring, patience, and just plain loving one another.
Well, that was, a, that was an amazing chapter from Youngju, and she's definitely done a lot for the Be The Star You Are charity, um, and this radio show, uh, which spreads a lot of positive media on air. Uh, she was a regular host. Uh, she still is a host and a reporter for the show, um, and she's definitely shared a great perspective with us today. I think that Youngju has a great point uh, about volunteering. Because there are, in the United States at least, a lot of different positions, even job positions, that require you to volunteer for a certain amount of hours if you're going to take part, uh, if you're going to join the company, or if you're going to stay with the with a company, or if you want to apply to higher education institutes. You do need to have volunteering on your resume. You do need to engage with the community. And so on one level, if you're thinking about it from the perspective of bettering your own position in life, it is for, you know, selfish reasons that you're going out there and volunteering. Uh, but on the other hand, as Yangju points out, the consequences of your stepping out and engaging with the community, uh, whether it, whether you know, your your pathway started as a result of selfish reasons or whether you're going out there because you really are a philanthropist <laughs> at heart, um, the, the end, the consequences are the same. You're going out there and you're helping people. And so from this perspective, a lot of, uh, a lot of activities and positions that mandate volunteering work uh, are, in fact, pushing you to engage with your community and do good, even if it isn't an intrinsic drive that you're experiencing. And that is very important um, because, you know, sometimes individuals who haven't engaged in volunteering before and haven't had a driving force within themselves, they've never experienced uh, the joys of volunteering they might not be motivated to go out on their own and and volunteer and engage themselves with the community. Uh, so if you have uh, a pushing factor such as a job position that requires a certain amount of volunteer hours or maybe a, um, a, a college application that, that requires this many volunteer hours uh, for uh, a competitive applicant, it allows people to figure out that they like volunteering or that they do have some sort of drive. Uh, it's essentially that that spark that that lights the fire, so to speak. So I think, again, Yongju has a very important point there. And it looks like that she found her own drive uh, for volunteering through extrinsic motivation. And it eventually became an intrinsic uh, sort of thing. Uh, for me personally, I, I think that it's important that this transition between uh, from extrinsic motivation to an intrinsic motivation does take place if you do continue volunteering. Um, and there are definitely many, many ways that a volunteering event or a volunteering position will help you make that transition uh, from, from maybe a job position or a college application pushing you to volunteer to uh, finding service events and opportunities on your own. I think I definitely experienced something very similar to what Yongju went through. I, I volunteered in high school because it seemed like something to do. It seemed that everybody was doing it. And, and I definitely thought about the, the importance of volunteering out of the goodness of your heart. And I tried my best to find that intrinsic motivation. But to some extent, uh, you know, I had to admit that I was putting effort into volunteering on a certain level for, you know, for college apps or for the club hours or for the club requirements of, of whatever organization I was a part of. And I think transitioning to college has been really important for my uh, discovering an intrinsic motivation for service and figuring out exactly where, what level of service was a fit for my level of motivation. So I clarified when I got to college uh, the type of service that I wanted to do, that I personally wanted to do, um, and, and not the kind that I was required to do. And I put more effort into volunteering because I wanted to, not because there was any requirement for me to fulfill. What's nice about college as well, I think, is that there are really no requirements. I am a pre-medical student, so uh, there are 
you know, there are volunteering hours that will look better on your resume or that will do wonders for your application. But the important part about these volunteering hours is that there's no set requirement and there's no set volunteer work that will look better one way or another on your resume. So you get to choose what you want to dedicate yourself to and whether you want to dedicate yourself to it. Because volunteer hours, I think, are are a bit overshadowed in the in the medical school application by shadowing <laughs> shadowing your position. Uh, speaking of overshadowed, uh, or or your your GPA or your MCAT score or different aspects of uh, your your application that then allow you to decide how much you want to value volunteering. So again, great points from Yongju. I think um, that transition from extrinsic to intrinsic motivation for volunteering is very important, and she definitely highlighted that. And I really agree that volunteering does eventually, you know, whatever motivation you start with, it does eventually come from the heart, and that is what is important. Anyway, audience, you can purchase Be The Star You Are, Millennials to Boomers, celebrating gifts of positive voices in a changing digital world, and be inspired by Youngju and other amazing writers at www.starstylestore.net. All of the money that comes from sales for this book benefit Be The Star You Are, 501c3 charity, and this radio program as a donation and keeps us on air, keeps the charity running so that we can spread positive media. So make sure you get your copy today. Also, check out youtube.com slash be the star you are for our fun and informative BTSYA videos on living, laughing, and learning. I'm Brigitte Gia. Make sure you keep on listening as we continue our conversation on the gift of volunteering. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Are you a teen interested in becoming a radio personality? The Positive Message Outreach Program of Be The Star You Are Charity trains dedicated young people to be reporters and hosts on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com for information. That's ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Don't forget to tune in to Express Yourself Tuesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Kids, where teens talk and the world listens. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Join the Voice America Empowerment Channel every Sunday afternoon for the Empowered Kids series. It's two hours of programming geared toward our younger listeners and our young at heart listeners. We kick things off with Express Yourself Teen Radio at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern. Then keep up with your favorite movies on Kids First Coming Attractions at 4 Pacific, 7 Eastern. The Empowered Kids series every Sunday on Voice America Empowerment. listening to express yourself on the voice america kids channel where teens talk and the world listens express yourself is produced by star style productions llc as an international outreach program of be the star you are charity for more information about our show visit expressyourselfteenradio.com now back to our star teens Thanks for staying with us here at Express Yourself on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. I'm Brigitte Gia, and in this next segment, we're joined by wonderful guest Christina Adams. Christina is the award-winning author of the memoir, A Real Boy, and she works as a journalist speaking out about autism, writing, culture, and camels. Her work has been featured by National Public Radio, NPR, The Washington Post, The Los Angeles Times, Gulf News, Dubai One, OZY, WebMD, Tata Sky TV, Global Advances in Health and Medicine, and many more. She lives in Orange County, California. Here's a little bit more about Camel Crazy, which is Christina's new book. 
This fascinating real-life story will answer questions like, how and why does someone become the first person to obtain federal government permission to import camel milk as a treatment for autism, and why should anyone care? Well, when Christina suspected that camel milk might help her son with autism, a faraway doctor helped her smuggle some into the United States. Yes, smuggle milk. Camel milk, of all things. Well, her son got dramatically better overnight after being able to have access to this camel milk. So, off Christina went to find camels and discover why they are cherished as family members and hailed as healers in many cultures. She visited the camel farms of Arab royals and she met passionate Amish farmers, elusive Indian camel caregivers, and white swathed Tuareg nomads. But the most fascinating characters were the camels themselves. They were cute and mischievous, but they were also adept fighters, and their imposing teeth and height scared Christina, even as their soft lips and gentle, curious eyes won her over. We know that readers, too, will be won over by this moving and rollicking ode to camel people and the creatures they adore, and we're excited to be interviewing Christina about her story and camel crazy. With that, let's say hello to Christina and welcome her on air. Hi, Christina. Hello. I'm so glad to be here today. Absolutely. Really glad to have you. Uh, You know, I'm just going to jump right in and ask you, how did you get the idea that camel milk would help your son? I had done a lot of research when I first found out that my son had autism when he was almost three years old. And even though I was a writer by trade and I didn't really have a, quote, science background, I actually had learned a lot about medicine and biology and things like that when I started learning about autism. So I had written my first book about getting him better, and that's called A Real Boy. And soon after that, I just happened to see a guy with a camel, and uh, no children were riding this camel, even though it was at a book fair for children. And so a journalist is kind of a nosy type person, and so that's how I am. And I went over, and I saw a guy, and I just said, hey, what are you doing here if this camel is not being ridden by children? And he said that he was selling soap and lotion made from camel milk. And I lifted up the soap, and it smelled pretty good, and the lotion was kind of cool. And then I said, well, what else did they do with that milk? And I really don't know why I asked that, but that's that kind of nosy writer-type person thing to do. And he (laughs) said that they give it to premature infants in hospitals in the Middle East because it was thought to be non-allergenic, and it may be close to human milk. And so that was my light bulb moment because I had learned that autism is kind of connected to the immune system. And so the better and healthier that the kids or adults get, the better they seem to be able to function and and do things like speak and um, handle their bodies a little better because that is a problem sometimes for people with autism. So I went home and I just researched and there was nothing on the Internet, but then I managed to um, connect with some people in another country and I flew that milk in and unbelievably he got better overnight. Wow, that's pretty incredible. So I, you know, I understand that, you know, if there's there's nothing on the internet, you know, sometimes we we can be at a dead end, and and not able to link up the um, the connection between a treatment and an illness. So for you, when you when you didn't find anything on the internet and you couldn't find any articles, what was the the factor that kind of Uh, kept you going uh, in this decision to ship camel milk in uh, and (laughs) smuggle it in, essentially, for your son? Yeah. Well, that is such a good question, and I really think that lies at the heart of one of the messages of my book. The reason I was able to do this is because I was talking to people around me. And I just would branch out and kind of talk about my idea to people that were friendly Uh, I didn't know if they knew anything about camels or camel milk. Most people had absolutely no idea. But I did talk to one man that I become kind of friendly with, and he was from Pakistan, and he lives here in America. And so he knew that camels were, you know, a normal animal in other parts of the world. And so he said, well, I'm going to be flying over there to Israel, and I will try to bring some back for you. And even though that was dumped away at the uh, JFK airport because we didn't have the proper permission, he gave me a phone number that I could call over, a complete strangers in another country in Israel, but they were kind and they connected me with other people. So that's really one of the lessons I think that we need to speak to people 
and not just rely on online things or, you know, um, keeping a distance from people. Like, it's really good to to talk to people about what's on your mind because you just never know what's going to happen out of it. Absolutely. I definitely agree with you. Uh, I think <laughs> one reason I, I continue to do the radio is uh, about this communication, uh, you know, being being able to break down that wall between one screen and another and really speak to people, uh, you know, and, and get their message and, and correspond. Uh, speaking of which, I actually wanted to ask you if if there's been any any research any any researchers that you've talked to about looking into camel milk and and uh, maybe testing it out as a possible marketable treatment for autism has there been any headway on that Yes, good question uh, Brigitte so when I started this there was nothing about autism because really no one had really you know thought about that except me but then it turned out about a, a few months into my search, I kept looking and looking, and then finally I did go to online and uh, again, and I found out that there was a brand new article that uh, a scientist, veterinarian, and a doctor over in Israel had written, and they had given some camel milk to autistic kids, and they had gotten better, and it also had treated kids with food allergies. So that was the that kind of showed that that we were both having kind of the same thoughts at the same time, but never would have known about each other. So that was a game changer for me because it told me, yes, you're on the right path. I mean, I was still going to do it and get what I get get the milk anyway, but that just confirmed to me that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that there was something to this more than my own hunch. And Absolutely. so, uh, you know, ever since then, there wasn't too much at the beginning. And so I thought, once my son got better, I thought I need to share this kind of amazing outcome. And I wrote an article that went viral and helped kick off this kind of global movement. And so then more scientists started doing more research in other countries. And then a year after that, I thought, okay, I need to put this in a more formal kind of thing. So I was able to write a medical journal article. And that was published in a medical journal. And that's what you call peer review, where like scientists mm-hmm. and doctors and people like that look at it and make sure that it's a good article. And so once that was published, it got scientific um, interest and it helped move more research. And the article, that article has been cited by other researchers maybe 13 times now. And uh, a new one just happened the other day. And so you just never know uh, what's going to happen. And then it turned out um, around the time when I published that article, there was a scientist in Saudi Arabia, um, a woman who had done some research on children with autism, and she did a real clinical trial, and uh, it showed that not only did they get better in their behavior and their testing results, it also showed in their blood work. So it showed mm-hmm. that it was having a biological effect. And so ever since then, there have been more uh, things looking at it for different kinds of um, you know, things like um, diabetes, type 1 and 2, uh, some people for food allergies, tuberculosis, like a lot of things. So it's pretty amazing. And we still would like to have more science on it. But, you know, it's kind of complicated because to get drug approval, it takes millions and millions and millions of dollars. And so far, nobody's put millions of dollars into this because... If you just have camels and people buy the milk, then generally they skip that part about trying to make it, quote, a drug because people mm-hmm. would just turn around and buy the milk. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Well, you know, I'm glad that it's spurred a movement that your, you know, your your journey and and your story has really pushed scientific discovery forward. And hopefully, you know, with with more and more uh, coming, uh, more and more. Uh, press essentially or interest uh, coming into this avenue into camel milk and and the benefits of camel milk you know we'll be able to hopefully get some nih grants in there <laughs> and and fund some oh that would be it. the dream but uh, <laughs> absolutely so far um well the one good thing about my book camel crazy is i do let kind of cover all that research but not in a boring way i mean it's really an adventure story and an animal love story and a human love story for animals and people and friendship and adventure but I do weave some science in there, so for the people that want it, I've got a little bit. <laughs> and then I, in the back, there are all the little footnotes, you know, for the curious yes. type. And um, I did do a, a, a kind of an experiment with a university that we talk about in there. And, um, yes, I would really like there to be more. So the good news is some is happening in other countries that know more about camels. But I hope someday someone will do it here. 
right? It's definitely it'll it'll gain momentum. <laughs> I think it's going to be great. I well, hope you so. know, speaking, great. <laughs> uh, speaking of speaking of kind of the, um, uh, the 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 medical aspects of of camel milk and of of autism in particular, I actually wanted to ask about um, you know the the process of getting a diagnosis uh, for your child um, with with autism and how that process, uh, you know, must have felt and what you went through uh, that led you to to coming across camel milk. I'm a neuroscience student. I know that <laughs> I've, I've learned about some of the processes that people go through in, in uh, getting a diagnosis. And, you know, was your first reaction to your son um, receiving a diagnosis of autism uh, to, to go and research? Uh, was that your first gut reaction? Well, that's so, such a great question. And so my first reaction was twofold. My, uh, my first reaction, like most parents, is you're in shock. And you're mourning because you're really, really scared of what that means for your child and your family. And so that's the first reaction. Uh, but initially, you know, I got to hand it to you for saying that to me because it must be obvious I'm that kind of person because my uh, right along with that was my thing where I said to myself, I will go anywhere and I will do anything to get this child feeling better and doing the best he can do, whatever that meant for him. I accepted the fact that he had autism right away, and I was determined to make that best life for him no matter what, but I also was determined to try to help him as much as I could. So I did write about that in my first book, A Real Boy, and so... You know, at that time, I thought, oh, do I have to move somewhere with him, you know, to a clinic and live with him there and things that they used to do back in the day um, that I had only heard of. I mean, they don't really do that anymore, but, you know, no one knew much about it uh, when my first book came out. And so I was determined to do everything, and I did plunge myself into research, but that also was spurred by the fact that when you start reaching out. So I talked to a few people, and they said, oh, there's some people in your neighborhood that are doing amazing things. Little did I know, there were like a dozen families around me, and they had mothers who were just like, both were attorneys, and they were super brilliant, driven people, and they had plunged into that whole world of autism. So all around me were these women who were leading the charge nationally, and they just happened to be in my neighborhood. So instantly, you know, I got to learn about this special diet, which made a huge difference for him. Taking away cow milk made an enormous difference in his language and his body and everything. And then I learned about the special therapies and all that. So, you know, when you go to the doctors, um, most doctors still in the mainstream kind of world, like pediatricians or, you know, family doctors, they may hear your concern, but they will not really do anything for you other than to say, okay, you've got to go to a specialist. And then when you go to the specialist, they will diagnose the child, but they really aren't good at telling you what to do. And it's unfortunately been that way since my son was diagnosed, you know, uh, 17 years ago or something. Like, it hasn't changed that much. So then you have to go and ask other parents what to do, who to talk to, and get those specialty doctors. And only then can you really kind of drill down and biologically and, um, and therapeutically figure out what that combination is that they need. Absolutely. I think it's really powerful that you, you know, you you do anything, you put your kid first. <laughs> I, I know I definitely, you know, I have my own parents to thank for, for always putting me first. And I'm, I'm so, I'm so glad and moved to see that, that drive, uh, you know, persist uh, in, in yourself and in your research and everything you've done <laughs> to ship Campbell. Well, thank you. You know, and thank oh, you. it's incredible. And, yeah, you know, who would I, ever think it, right? So, you know, absolutely. I'm from Virginia, and they don't have camels there, but here I am, you know, uh, surrounded by hundreds of camels on a regular basis. Not my own, but I get to visit them everywhere. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, anything. Oh, man, it's it's incredible. You know, I wanted to Thank ask you. as well, you, you brought up the... The process, again, about, um, as you just said, uh, of diagnosis and of going through this whole difficult journey of trying to trying to find something that's going to work um, and that's going to help your son. What do you think can be done about this process of, of trying to figure out what to alleviate about autism and, and what to do when you've, you know, you've 
gone through this process of receiving a diagnosis um, because I, I, I'm a pre-med student. <laughs> I, I've, you know, been met with a lot of clinical perspectives, but it's, it's often hard to see the other side and to, to, to help families in the best way possible. So what do you think can be modified about this system? That's a wonderful question. And, and back when my son was younger, I actually hosted some uh, med students in my home uh, to kind of observe the lifestyle and, and answer some of those questions because uh, really what you are looking at here is not just, okay, the child has X and so the child is going to function in X way. It's never like that because autism is a little bit of a wastebasket diagnosis. I mean, there are subtypes mm-hmm. of autism now. We know that. But, you know, it takes a genetic tests. It takes different kinds of testing to even figure that out. And so most people will never figure out uh, sort of the etiology of their child's autism. You know, you can have certain um, aspects of things that you realize have, you know, probably helped contribute to that because we know now that while there are genetic influences in that, there are also environmental aspects that help um, manifest uh, the actual disorder. So mm-hmm. uh, that's complicated stuff. But clinicians, you know, they see it. They want to diagnose it or not. Generally, clinicians don't like to diagnose uh, diagnose autism. I mean, really, there's still underdiagnosis more than there is overdiagnosis, um, and so it's not something that people like to do. But I think it could change by realizing, like I was saying, it's not just di- diagnosing a child with X and going to do X. It's a life style. It's a life change for the entire family. So, you know, usually one of the parents loses their job because they have to stay and take care of all the therapy needs um, and the diet things and the different stuff. And the kids get kicked out of school quite often, even public school. They'll say, come pick them up. We can't handle them or X, Mm -hmm. Y, and Z. So that's a big economic impact that does fall disproportionately on women, but it also impacts the parent, the, the the male, you know, or, you know, if it's a Whatever the couple is, you know, it doesn't matter if they're, um, you know, same sex or not. Mm-hmm. It impacts uh, both parents, but usually one more than the other. And so that's a big deal. And then, of course, a lot of the care is expensive because you have to pay out of pocket to get the decent medical care that tells you what to actually do. And a lot of times there's co-pays and then it's just a big deal. So um, I think that looking at autism as a biological disorder right now. I mean, it's always been classified as a psychological disorder, but, you know, it's not, I mean, there's really almost no such thing as a psychological disorder. It's kind of old-fashioned. I mean, really, biology um, drives uh, the illnesses that plague us, be they body or brain. So, yeah, we're going to, we're a certain way. We have genetic, um, you know, things that create certain things, but there are other things that you know, like we know now that there's certain viral, viral links to schizophrenia. You know, we know that mm-hmm. um, there's certain things that are caused by, you know, gut disorders can create some other issues in, in people. Mm-hmm. So you just have to, it needs a lot of evolution. So I guess I would say to doctors, keep an open mind and respect the parents, what they say. Yeah, not every parent is going to be, you know, super educated or have the ability to understand this lingo and all that. But the parents have a good gut instinct about their kid, and they're the ones that are going to live with it for the rest of their life, and so is their child. And so you really, really have to respect the parents, and you really have to kind of um, be transparent with them. You know, if you have thoughts about the child, ask. If you want to know something about that kid, but you're afraid the parent won't understand what you're talking about, just explain it to them and, and get their input because it's better to partner with parents. That's the key thing. Partner with mm-hmm. the parents because that way, when parents get super stressed out, as we unfortunately see, sometimes it doesn't happen often, but there are situations where the parents will unfortunately, you know, abandon their kids or unfortunately even sometimes take their children's life because they're so mm-hmm. deep in despair and there's not enough support for the families across the whole world and even in America. So it's serious stuff. So a, a caring medical person can make all the difference. 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I definitely agree with you there. And I really appreciate uh, you're making that point. Uh, I, I shadow in a, in a cardiac surgery ward, in a pediatric cardiac surgery ward. Uh, definitely a lot of the experiences have weighed heavy on me. And one, one particular instance was uh, that I witnessed was a, a doctor's stepping out and, and saying, the mother knows the child best. Uh, there was there was a child who uh, they couldn't figure out how uh, how the sedation levels were going to work, whether the child needed to be more or less sedated. Um, they said, "Well, the mother thinks the child is okay," and that's one. Of course, they had to ask the nurse as well, and they had to make sure with the doctor. But but the parent was someone that they corresponded with uh, to a to a high degree, and I think that's really important. and And I'm glad you've made that point <laughs> very clearly. That's you know, a very valuable experience for you as a budding clinician, because yeah, I mean, parents <laughs> aren't medical experts, but um, there, you know, we know now sort of that our intuition is a form of intelligence, and mm-hmm. mothers or fathers' intuition is a form of intelligence about their child, and maybe they can't quantify it in medical language, but nonetheless, there's there's a reason for it. Exactly. I think um, I I learned early on about the parade in one of my neuroscience classes that that our emotional drives and our our intuitive forces are are a huge factor into shaping our decisions, and they're valuable. They really provide some some good judgment. Of course, they can't always be relied upon, but they're definitely an impactful force that often leads to a lot of positive consequences. Uh, but Christina, well, I, I want to ask. Um, I wanted to ask about, since since obviously you've gone through a, a long journey with a lot of different obstacles, uh, I wanted to ask what what it taught you about yourself and, and your son and your family and, and how, you know, how it impacted your, your personal journey or your, your understanding of your, your own character. Well, that was also another... Uh Big question, and um, I'm really impressed with your interviewing skills and your perception skills <laughs> because um, that's uh, that's a very big thing. Um, it changed me completely. Um, you know, before I had a career as a journalist and writer, and uh, worked in places like the Pentagon and aerospace and things like that. So I was comfortable working in big systems, you know, and kind of seeing how how things happen, and that helped me deal with. Um, you know, the institutional kind of paperwork and layers that you have to deal with uh, for any chronic disorder or disease. But it really changed me because I wasn't lucky enough to grow up with anyone with disabilities. I didn't really know anyone with disabilities. There were not really very many people with autism at all. I never met one in my life. Um, So I didn't know anything about disabilities, but I knew that this is a chance to learn more about people's essential humanity. And so that really gave me a chance to learn and meet, uh, learn about and meet more people with disabilities. And so the big lesson for me was people with disabilities are just like everyone else. They want the same things. They feel the same way. They may have even people with, like, cognitive disabilities. They still are, you know, want the same things. They still feel the same way. They still have opinions that should be listened to. So that was really um, a leveling experience. It taught me much more about humanity, and I was grateful to have it. And um, and I advise people to really get to know people with disabilities because they're just like everybody else, and they can be your friend. You know, they can do anything that you want, um, and you'll learn so much. And then you know, they can learn from you too because a lot of times people ignore people with disabilities, and it's not not fun for them, and it's a loss for us. Absolutely, I think that's that's a great takeaway message to to conclude from all of this and. And I think that's that's really powerful is that at the end of the day, we're all human. We all, we forget it. We, all of us forget it at, at some point or another. And we think to ourselves, well, we, we think differently from this person or we, we're different in this way or that way. But even, even if your brain is wired differently, even if you, you know, you think differently on some levels, on, on the most basic level, People with disabilities, people who struggle, you know, with maybe some cognitive aspects of, of thought, they are human. And and I'm glad that that you, you know, you <laughs> declared that to our audience and and 
I think that is a message that is really going to stick and that we all need to realize in our daily lives when we're when we're dealing with heavy issues and when we're considering others in our everyday decisions. And, you know, Christina, I want to thank you for being on the show with us today and for sharing your experience, for telling us about about the story and the and the journey, especially behind Camel Crazy. Uh, I think it's been amazing. <laughs> I've definitely uh, been, been struck <laughs> heavily. And uh, again, thank you well, for being on. Well, great. Um, so um, if people want to learn more about it, they um, can buy Camel Crazy in any bookstore, but then they can also um, go to my website. It's christinaadamsauthor.com, or they can go on Amazon and order it. And uh, there's a million ways to get this book, and there's some lovely color photos in here of animals yes. and people, <laughs> and uh, you will have fun. And then if you want to use Camel Milk, of course, in the back, because most people read it, they're like, oh, I want some. So the, there's a, a user's guide in the back that tells you how to use it, what it does, and where to get it. Absolutely. Audience, uh, you heard her. Uh, Make sure to go to ChristinaAdamsAuthor.com to learn more about Christina and her work and pick up Camel Crazy at any major bookstore, uh, online, on Amazon. Go and do it. (laughs) Also, make sure to support our show and learn more about upcoming BTSYA events at BeTheStarYouAre.org. Support more segments like this one by donating to the Be The Star You Are 501c3 literacy charity that brings you this program at BeTheStarYouAre.org. Again, visit btsya.org to find out more about spreading positivity with Be The Star You Are. I'm Brigitte Gia. Stick around uh, after the break for more on the gift of volunteering. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Are you a teen interested in becoming a radio personality? The Positive Message Outreach Program of Be The Star You Are Charity trains dedicated young people to be reporters and hosts on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com for information. That's ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Don't forget to tune in to Express Yourself Tuesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Kids, where teens talk and the world listens. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Join the Voice America Empowerment Channel every Sunday afternoon for the Empowered Kids series. It's two hours of programming geared toward our younger listeners and our young at heart listeners. We kick things off with Express Yourself Teen Radio at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern. Then keep up with your favorite movies on Kids First Coming Attractions at 4 Pacific, 7 Eastern. The Empowered Kids series every Sunday on Voice America Empowerment. listening to express yourself on the voice america kids channel where teens talk and the world listens express yourself is produced by star style productions llc as an international outreach program of be the star you are charity for more information about our show visit expressyourselfteenradio.com now back to our star teens Welcome back to Express Yourself on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. I'm Brigitte Gia, and we're finishing up a wonderful show about volunteering on a high note uh, with Be The Star You Are reporter Arjun Clare presenting a volunteer-oriented Innovation Nation segment. Hi, Arjun. Hi. Uh, we're so very excited to have you on for the last segment, and I'd, I'd just like to invite you to take it away with your wonderful Innovation Nation segment. Hi, everyone. My name is Arshan Clare, and I'm happy to be coming to you again with this year's last edition of Innovation Nation. In today's segment, I'm excited to talk to you about innovation in the world of volunteering. Social media is one of the most common methods of communication nowadays. 
Whether you use it to keep in touch with friends and family or to express your opinion for others to see, social media is a big part of everyday lives. And this is no exception when it comes to volunteering. Social media can be used as an outlet for volunteering in so many different ways. To document the progress that you've already made, as well as the progress you are making. Another way social media influences volunteering is simply as a platform to both find volunteer opportunities as well as advertise for them. Social media has essentially removed the cost of, the cost of asking for help. There's no longer a need to print posters or brochures, which were very important in the past. Even better, social media has expanded the geographical reach of volunteerism and campaigning. Many nonprofit organizations use social media as a way to recruit volunteers. They leverage the widespread use of social media to talk about their mission and goals, inform their volunteers and the community, and to build relationships with potential volunteers. Platforms are also used to connect volunteers and like-minded organizations with one another, which allows them to capitalize on and leverage shared resources and knowledge. There are so many different forms of social media, and each can be used in different ways. Many nonprofits use Instagram to share photos of volunteers so they can be recognized. While most everyone is familiar with Facebook and Twitter as means of sharing stories as they unfold in real time. An example of this is a nonprofit called Red Cross of the National Capital Region, which has a very active Twitter account where they constantly share their upcoming events and use hashtags to expand their audience. However, Social media is not the only innovation that has changed volunteering over time. Another is the broader concept of technology itself. We live in a world where the use of technology is constantly on the rise, and we're used to it being a part of our everyday lives. Volunteerism has taken advantage of this and used constantly evolving technology to widen the reach and impact new communities. For example, technology has made it much easier to learn about volunteering agencies how you can help out, and how to get in contact with them. A simple Google search offers up an insane amount of information for any type of volunteer opportunity you might be interested in. Perhaps most importantly, innovations in tech have allowed organizations to save time, money, and resources. It's so much easier to volunteer remotely. Instead of flying out from America to places around the world, Volunteers can simply use a Wi-Fi connection to get in touch with the people they are trying to help. Even teachers who are helping students or tutoring kids can do it in their own homes via Skype instead of driving to a house or meeting point. Another take on innovation and its relationship to volunteering is that volunteering can actually make a person think more creatively and innovatively. And here's how. Volunteering exposes you to lots of different types of people and diverse situations. Learning to work through a variety of challenges and being exposed to new situations helps you appreciate the obstacles and challenges facing some organizations as they try their best to lend a helping hand. It gets you thinking about how you can use your ingenuity, enhances your creativity, and challenges you to solve problems with limited resources. It pushes your limits. This is where innovation is born out of necessity. Volunteering helps to nurture innovation with new skills as well. When volunteering, you are bound to do something new that is outside of your comfort zone, and that is where you grow the most. In a study published by Harvard, Fast Company, and The Muse, it was shown that developing traits such as humility, empathy, networking, creativity, collaborating, being culturally and emotionally aware, and having a thirst for learning all contribute to making someone a more innovative leader. Volunteering is a great way to start developing these traits. So, as you've heard, volunteering and innovation go hand in hand, and both have a lot to offer to each other, which I think is pretty awesome. And that's Innovation Nation's take on volunteering. I hope you've enjoyed it, and once again, I'm Arjun Clare, and thanks for listening to today's edition of Innovation Nation. Wow, Arjun, that was awesome. Uh, I'm, I'm really struck by the link that you found between volunteering and innovation. And I think there's definitely a lot of truth in what you're saying. Um, I think uh, one one great example in, in the last few years, maybe in the last five years that's come up uh, in terms of using social media with volunteering is the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge. <laughs> How could we forget that? It's, it's been trending, or it was trending for, for a long time. I mean, it's really exciting because... 
you had people on social media nominating each other and passing around this trend in the name of an organization that was putting funds towards finding a cure for, for ALS. Uh, so I, I definitely think uh, that it's really exciting that social media has provided us with a new form of volunteering and a new form of contributing and giving back to our communities. I also think it's really cool that uh, you brought up pushing boundaries with volunteering. I actually, I just joined an organization called Effective Altruism that was, I think it began at Harvard. It's since spread to a number of colleges um, and and is continuing to try and uh, push forth. And essentially, effective altruism uh, is the idea of uh, using algorithms and quantitative reasoning and especially sort of computer-generated methods to find the most effective charities and get the most amount of money uh, to those charities in order to do the most amount of benefit for the most amount of people. It does sound a little bit utilitarian, <laughs> which is which is not the greatest, but uh, the point behind effective altruism is to try and have a collective uh, decision made about the moral points of volunteering and factor, factor that into computer algorithms and quantitative reasoning in order to pick the charities that would be most effective and would have the greatest impact. So I think one charity that they, they really push forth is, is um, the, the Malaria Foundation, if, I'm, uh, if I remember that correctly. And for this foundation, uh, they've calculated uh, that if you give to this foundation, you can buy malaria nets for something like $2 per net. And each net goes to a family and saves maybe like five or six lives. And by donating to this foundation, you can do a lot of good for people with, you know, with less money than you would if you funded an organization with maybe more corporate branches or more hierarchical organizational methods or uh, structures, because then a lot of the money is not going directly towards uh, some of the causes that, you know, you want your money to be going towards. Uh, So I think uh, it's an exciting prospect, uh, combining innovation with volunteering. And I'm glad you brought up the fact that volunteering uh, can push people to start devising different methods of, of, you know, being able to get as much funding and as much help to people in need as possible. So Arjun, what, oh, you know, in, in your experience thus far, what is one situation in which you've maybe found a new innovative method of going about and volunteering? Yeah, so um, I know one of my friends uh, she wanted to volunteer in India, but she didn't have the she didn't have the time to go because it's a long flight. She would have to spend a while there, and she also didn't have like enough money to be able to support her going there and coming back and everything that she was going to do there. So what she did to help the kids in India, I don't remember quite exactly what it was, is. She just, as I mentioned in my talk, she just took advantage of a Wi-Fi connection. She FaceTimed the kids, and she I think she was teaching them, and all she did was teach them. So that's a great example of maybe not having the time or the money or the resources, taking advantage of the constantly evolving technology that we have nowadays and making the best out of it. Absolutely. I think that's a wonderful example. And I'm, I'm so glad that your friend found a way to help out the kids without having to, you know, <laughs> sacrifice um, that flight time or to scrounge for money that might not have um, allowed her to go and help uh, these kids in India. Well, thank you so much, Arjun, for a terrific Innovation Nation segment on the gift of volunteering. That was wonderful. I learned a lot. And I'm really excited about the prospects uh, for volunteering and innovation in the future. Uh, audience, make sure you support BTSYA uh, and find information on our creative community, charity efforts, and outreach programs on our main site at bethestarur.org. I'm Brigitte Gia, and you've been listening to Express Yourself, an on-air global community where teens talk and the world listens. As always, we give our thanks to Star Style Productions, Cynthia Bryan, Be The Star You Are, and our Voice America Empowerment crew, especially our voice engineer, Josh. 
Thanks to our guests and reporters from across the world, and thank you to you, our listeners, for making us a top-rated program. Remember, be active, volunteer, and be here. Speak up, speak out, and express yourself. Thanks for joining us this week on Express Yourself, produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, be sure to visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific time, 3 p.m. Eastern, when teens talk and the world listens on the Voice America Kids channel. Until then, remember to express yourself. Stars that shine between the lines if you would let yourself go.